All right, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on the compassion of Jesus. This is kind of a, a detour from our previous te teaching on uh, such a great salvation as we were focusing on salvation and how it relates to the benefits of salvation and how it relates to prosperity. So my hope is to get back to that teaching, and we were not quite done with that, but... I'm just going with the Holy Spirit's been leading me the last few weeks as we are now in part three of this new series talking about the compassion of Jesus. So I'm not sure exactly how long we'll be here. Uh, I thought this was just going to be a one-week thing and now we're in week three. So anyway, all, just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at LighthouseDiscipleship.org as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And we also want to say thank you to all those who have partnered with us with their tithes and their offerings. As we're celebrating this Sunday, we're celebrating our ninth year now as a church. We started the first Sunday in December in 2014. And so here we are, and we are celebrating now nine years of uh, faithful ministry as a church. And so with that said, we are uh, uh, we say, say thank you to those who have partnered with us in, in this ministry since the beginning stages of this. And in case you're wondering how to do so, you can simply uh, go to our website again at lighthousediscipleship.org. And on the top right corner it says give. It's highlighted in blue. You can give from anywhere around the world. If you'd rather send us a check, you can make your checks payable to Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And on the bottom foot of every page on our website is our mailing address. And if you're in the United States, just so you know all of your tax donations are, all of your contributions are uh, tax deductible as we are a 501c3 church. Alright, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into our message again this morning. I've talked about the compassion of Jesus. And, um, uh, you know, this week I was praying about the direction that we needed to go this week. I just began to write down a bunch of notes. And so I'm going to be kind of teaching from my notes this week. Uh, these are kind of where I call my chicken scratches somewhat. And so we're just going to be going through this. And so I'm going to be looking at a bunch of different pages in my notes and different different formats and we're going to be teaching from that this morning. I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit lead me as we as he's been that fellow lead, lead me all week. So just bear with me if uh, this uh, setup is a little different than my normal setup. Um, I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit lead. So and that's always a good thing. Okay so he's a teacher not me. So um, with that said we're talking a lot about the compassion of Jesus and the last couple of weeks has, I've shared a lot of different verses and how where it, where it specifically says Jesus had compassion and did such and such. A lot, of those had, a lot of those miracles had to do with healing. Some of those things had to do with provision. Uh, some of those things had to do with uh, direction and, and different things. Um, but we're talking about the compassion of Jesus. And how, how many of you know that Jesus didn't do anything unless he, unless he saw the Father do it? Jesus is the express image of the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Okay? And Jesus didn't do anything he didn't see the Father do. And if Jesus didn't do anything that he didn't see the Father do, who, how, do, how, do how can we do anything unless we've seen the Father do it? Okay? And so we need to have a relationship with the Father. We need to have a relationship with God. We need to have a relationship with his word, the living word. The word is not the ink. The word is the person. His name is Jesus. Jesus prayed before he went to the cross. He said, Father, I pray that we would be one as you and, I, you and the Father are one. And, 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 and so, you know, uh, I, I usually teach on this subject of the compassion of Jesus when I talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And 
Because a lot of times when I teach on the, the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit Himself, and I talk about the different gifts, and then, then the question is always, well, when do I operate these gifts? Well, do you ever have a compassion to minister to somebody? Do you have, you, maybe you're, you're in the middle of your work day? Maybe you're in the middle of a family event? Or even in the middle of the night while you're sleeping? And God puts somebody on your heart to minister to? Whether that be just praying for them? Making a phone call? They're sharing, are you either heard about or you, they're sharing with you a physical need? And you would like to see them healed? Do you ever come across someone who, who they have a financial need or a relational need? They feel lonely? They're expressing to you how lonely they are or whatever the case may be? And, and there's a need that you want to meet and sometimes that need that you want to meet or help meet is something that you physically cannot do. You don't have the funds. You don't have the power. And that's where you rely on the Holy Spirit. That's where you rely on God to meet their need. But the fact, the fact, the matter of the fact that you have a compassion for that person in that situation, in that moment, that's God. Because God is love. That compassion didn't come from your flesh. And that compassion did not come from, come from the devil. Okay? That compassion came from the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth. And you're like, but I can't meet that need. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus, when he wanted to feed the multitude, he told the disciples, you feed them. They didn't have the money. They didn't, excuse me. They didn't have the natural resources to, to, meet, to feed the multitudes. But Jesus said, you feed them. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the power of the finished work of the cross to meet the needs of the people. And a lot of times, it, that is birthed through a compassion. And just as Jesus had compassion on the people... We can have compassion on people. And we do. And a lot of times we see Jesus when he had compassion on someone, he didn't pass it by. But when we have compassion on people, we we we, we give up. We like we don't we don't know how to meet that need. So we just <coughs> we say a prayer, maybe. We share we share uh, um, um, you know our our sympathy or empathy or share a word of encouragement. But before it's, all, before it's all said and done, we basically walk away. And we don't walk away with malice. We don't walk away because we're mad. We don't walk away because we necessarily have the intent of giving up on them. But we're just saying, we, we, we hope your prayer gets answered. Versus meeting that prayer and answering that prayer, being a vessel of honor, being the, the body of Christ that God has ordained us to be in this world. Okay. If they had come to Jesus, Jesus would have met their need right on the spot. But we do it differently. And, and that's where, to me, I see a disconnect with the body of Christ and how Jesus operated. The Christ. Okay? And so, it just to me, it's different. It's different than how the early church ministered. It's different than how the apostles ministered. It's different than how Jesus ministered. And we do it. We do church differently, we, and 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 to me that's a problem. And I, I'm not pointing the finger at you any more than I'm pointing the finger at me. Church, is it okay for us to say, you know what? There's something about our life and our ministry that does not line up to the Word of God. 
Can we be that honest and that transparent to God and with ourselves and with one another that the way that we see the church operate in the early church and the way that we operate as the church are two different things at times, in many cases? The, the world, the sinners, flock to Jesus and they flock to the early church. Are they flocking to us? Or are they going to the world? Are they going to other ways? Are they giving up on altogether? Folks, we have the answer to everyone's needs. And that, that answer is called Jesus and the finished work of the cross. See, we talked in weeks how, how beginning with uh, Matthew 14, 14, and when Jesus went out, he saw compassion in the multitude. He moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. I shared many verses like this the last couple weeks where Jesus had compassion. He was moved with compassion. On them, and he healed all their sick. Okay? But a lot of times I hear this, and I've heard this in a lot of churches, and I've heard this in some churches I've been connected with in recent days, is that, that there's a belief system that says God only heals if it's his will. And I just spent several weeks, several months teaching about the benefits of salvation in regards to healing. And if you have the belief system that God will only heal if it's his will, then the, the issue I have with that is you, you don't know, first of all, you don't know the word of God regarding healing. First of all, you don't know the nature of God regarding healing, that he's Jehovah Rapha, our healer. And I'm not saying this to be mean or put you down, but the spirit of truth will convict us. If we're not walking in the truth, all scripture is possible for reproof, for, for, doctrine, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Healing somebody is a good work. And we need to be equipped for every good work, including healing somebody or meeting their needs financially. Or whatever the case may be, we need to be equipped. Or what are we going to be equipped with? <coughs> Do we need a million dollars to be equipped? No, we need the Word of God. The Word of God is enough. The Spirit of God is enough. Jesus is enough. He's the Ancient of Days. He's the Desire of all nations. He said in Haggai, that the silver and gold is mine, says the Lord. He's <coughs> excuse me. He has a cattle on a thousand hills. He's Jehovah Rapha. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's Jehovah Nisi. He's our banner. He's our victory. He's our provision. He's our all in all. He's everything. Okay? See, Jesus never turned anybody away. He was filled with compassion, and his compassion healed and did miracles. In Mark 1.41, we see the leopard... And then Jesus moved with compassion again and shook out his hand and touched him, something he was not allowed to do according to the Levitical law, and said to him, I am willing to be cleansed. Some people think, well, with God's will to be healed, well, Jesus said to the leopard, I am willing to be cleansed. And yet some people t interpret that as, well, he was willing with the leopard, but he might not be, be willing with me. I didn't say that. You said that. Not God. Again, and I'm not trying to again be mean, but sometimes we have to be blunt. Jesus was blunt. 
You think I'm being soft on it? Jesus was, I mean, he, he told his own disciples, he rebuked them many times. Oh, you have little faith. How much longer will I put up with you? Jesus was blunt. And yet sometimes being blunt is gracious, is merciful. If a kid ran out in the middle of the street and didn't look both ways, are you going to be nice about it or are you going to be blunt? Stop. What are you doing? Someone's doing something dangerous. Are you going to say nothing? Or are you going to raise your voice and say something? And say, you know what? You're going to hurt yourself. Are you going to hurt somebody else? Or both? See, the love of God, this compassion, this love of God, and God is love. That's who God is. God cannot be non-compassionate. Jesus can't not be compassionate because that would be not who he is. He, God is love. Okay? And the love of God will minister to the sick. <coughs> he will minister to the hurting. He will minister to those who are without. And he will release, the love of God will release the authority of God against sickness to his church, to his body that he has redeemed by his own blood. We are the body of Christ. How did we become the body of Christ? By the blood of Jesus. We were bought with a price. We, been, we became born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the word of God. It says in Romans 5, 17, and I'm going totally off my notes right now, but Romans 5, 17, it says, Through Adam, and I'm paraphrasing, death reigned. Sickness is a part of death. It's part of the curse. But how much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, we are destined to reign. It said in Revelation 5, 19 to 9, Revelation 5, 9, verses 9 and 10, that Jesus redeemed us by his blood out of every tongue, tribe, and nation, and he had made us kings and priests to reign on the earth. Church, the, ch the church is supposed to reign. We're letting sickness reign. We're letting lack reign. We're letting unforgiveness and bitterness and strife and every evil work to reign. We are the church of the living God. And we need to reign. And we need to let Jesus reign in people's lives by healing the sick, casting out devils, raising the dead, freely receive, freely give. That's how Jesus commissioned the twelve. That's how Jesus commissioned the 70, and that's how Jesus commissioned the church. To go preach that the kingdom of God is here. Okay? See, see, love, and God is love, love understands that sickness is a fruit of, a fruit, it's a fruit of the root of sin. I'm not saying you're sick because you sin. I'm saying sickness in itself is the fruit root of sin. I said that wrong. Sickness is a fruit from the root of sin. Because of sin, because of what Adam did, sickness reigns or has reigned. But sickness is not supposed to reign in you. Lack is not supposed to reign in you. Why? Because of Jesus, because of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Sickness is a fruit of the root of sin. Does that mean that some sins that we do doesn't cause sickness? No, there's, there's some sins 
especially sexual sins, that if you do them, you can get sick with different kinds of diseases. So some of our sins can result into some sicknesses, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about sin in itself. The fruit of that sin that Adam brought into the world is sickness. And it's not supposed to reign. Jesus reigns. His grace reigns. Righteousness reigns. Okay? And when Jesus bore, see, through the cross, Jesus not only bore our sins, but it says in Scripture that by his stripes we were healed. Jesus paid for our sickness and our, our sins simultaneously at the cross. In Mark chapter 2, I'm not going to read the whole context here. Jesus is actually ministering. Before I bring the verse up on the screen, I want to get some context to this. Because I know you're just going to read it. And he's ministering. And four guys let, let his buddy down. Let their buddy down the roof on a stretcher. He's a paralytic. <coughs> There's some Pharisees in the house and religious leaders in the house. And they're grumbling about how Jesus is going to handle this. Jesus talks about how he, he ministers to the man who's being let down. He says, your sins are forgiven. And so that's when all the more reasons why the Pharisees begin to grumble among themselves. Who's this man to, that he can forgive sins? And that's when we pick up the conversation in verse 9, Mark 2 9. And Jesus asks the question, which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. You are to say, arise, take up your, your bed, excuse me, not be bed, and, uh, and walk. To the Pharisees, it was easier to say, take up your bed and walk, than to forgive sins. But to us today, it seems like it's easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, to say, arise, take up your bed, and go home. And according to Jesus, both are just as easy. Why? Because the cross covered both of them. The cross where Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We're talking about the compassion of Jesus. And which is easier? And I want to ask you the same question. What's easier? For you to minister Christ and that people receive salvation for the forgiveness of their sins? Or that you minister Christ and people receive healing and salvation for their whatever they're struggling with physically and their bodies? See, if the sin issue has been dealt with at the cross, and it has, then sickness, the sickness issue can also be dealt with through the same cross. If the root has been dealt with, if sin has been dealt with, sickness must bow its knee to the finished work of the cross. The problem is, we don't believe it. Okay? Because Jesus said this in Mark 16, and these signs will follow those who believe. These signs will not follow you if they, you don't believe. And he says a bunch of things, and I'm, I'm not trying to skip over it, but I am. He says, and they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Okay, for time's sake, I just need to skip over some of that. 
<coughs> I'm not saying all this is not important. This is all true too, and I could spend a whole whole hour just on these on these things listed here. But these things won't follow you if you don't believe. Church is time for we call ourselves believers because we believe. It is time for us to believe the word of God and start doing something. God didn't save us just so we can have our nice church services. God saved us so we can be the church and go heal the sick, cast out devils, raise the dead. People are wanting a savior. Not just from their sins, and that's more the most important part, don't get me wrong. You can still go to heaven with a broken body, but you cannot go to heaven if, you're, if, you're, if your spirit is still, still dead because of sin. You understand? The forgiveness of sin is more important than your healing of your body. But Jesus paid for both. Why are we limiting God? Why are we minimizing salvation and what Jesus paid for? See, God allows his love to flow through you when you believe his gospels. To do all these things and even more that we can read in other scriptures as well. See, I truly believe that the healing that so many let me let me let me let me slow down, let me just read my notes here. I truly believe that the healing so many people need is not in the sovereign control of God, but rather is locked up in the unbelieving church. I want to say this again. I truly believe that the healing so many people need is not in the sovereign control of God that many people teach, but rather is locked up in the unbelieving church. Jesus said, it's to my Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. We have the keys of the kingdom. We have given, we've been given such a great salvation and the compassion of God wants to move in and through his church to do exploits in his name. If we would believe that we are the body of Christ, appointed and anointed to heal the sick, we would see a far greater manifestation of the power of God in our churches. And we would have all the revival that we could handle. See, so in other words, let's allow God and his love to touch us and motivate us to lay hands on the sick. And many other things that we can even also read in the book of Acts. I mean, one thing I love about Acts chapter 4 said there was no medium on them. Because they were also selling property and different things to meet one another's needs financially. I can go a whole other direction with this. I spent a lot of time on healing. But it's time for the church to be the church. It's time for the church to be the family of God. I believe the ball is on our court. Jesus already did what he's going to do to the cross. But Jesus is not dead. He's not just on the right hand of God on the throne. Where's Jesus? He's inside of us. We're called the body of Christ. 
We're not just the members, the body members of Christ. God, Jesus, is on the inside of us, but he's not going to micromanage us like a puppet. He wants to move in compassion the same way he did 2,000 years ago when he healed the blind man, when he healed the leopard, when he healed many people. He wants to operate through us because we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer we who live, but it's Christ who lives in us. And the compassion of God, the compassion of Jesus, still wants to reign and do exploits through us, his body, his church. But we are not letting him. We have indoctrinated ourselves that God's not going to heal unless it's his will. And it's, it, it is his will. He paid for it through the, with his blood. He paid for it through his suffering at the cross. And we are waiting on God when God is waiting on us. All the promises of God are yes and amen to the glory of God by us. 2 Corinthians 1.20 I hear a lot of people leaving that last phrase out by us or through us. That was just not that was not a tagline that just that that, that that Paul just added on there. It's part of the verse, it's part of the sentence, it's part of the equation. Okay? We're not the source, but we're dead. We died. We've been crucified with Christ. Paul said, I know no man that's the verse, 2 Corinthians 5.16. Now, I believe the number one force behind Jesus' ability to heal the sick and do miracles. And I'm not just talking about healing and healing the sick, even though that's one thing I've been highlighting. But I'm also talking about doing miracles. And I believe one of the number one forces behind that was the compassion of Jesus. We saw that, we see that with the centurion, with his healing his servant, <coughs> excuse me, in Matthew chapter 8. We see that with the two blind men that Jesus healed in Matthew chapter 9. We see that also again with the, um, in Matthew chapter 8 when he that come down from the mountain, a great multitude followed him, and behold, a, a leper came and worshipped him, and saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And we, we touched on this a few minutes ago, and then Jesus put his hands and touched at him, saying, I am willing to be cleansed, and immediately the leprosy was cleansed. We saw this in Mark's version just a minute ago. This is Matthew's version of the same account. But it was the compassion of Jesus that ministered. And all these people, and I can give you more examples of this, I gave you a lot of examples the last two weeks, but all these people used their faith to draw out the compassion of Jesus. Because why? Because Jesus is was willing to heal. And how many of you know Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? See, to know what God is willing to do is to know his character. If you are believing and saying that God will only heal or do miracles if it's his will, then you're telling me you don't know the will of God. You don't know the character of God. And that's sad. I don't say that to condemn you. I just say that's a commentary that you are a believer, a child of God, and you don't even know your own father. It's got quiet in the Presbyterian Church. I'm not trying to mock. I'm not trying to uh, condemn. My heart is, but I am trying to shake the tree a little bit. Okay, it's time for the church to wake up and be the church. We need to know the will of God. We need to know the word of God. We need to know the nature of God. We need to know God. Okay, 
And if we knew God, we knew the Word of God, we knew the Spirit of God, we would know the will of God. And the only way we're going to know the will of God and the Word of God is through what I call biblical teaching. We are able to operate in the power of God when we know His Word. See, you can't know God and not know His Word. Okay? Because God's will is never going to be divorced from His, His Word. Okay? A lot of people want to know God's will, but they don't want to spend any time in His Word. That's wrong. That's a fool. Okay? Again, I'm not trying to attack. I'm not trying to condemn. But as a pastor, as a teacher, I want to encourage you, have a relationship with the Word of God. Have a relationship with God. We are not a religion. We are believers. We are the body of Christ. We are the church of God. We are born again by the enduring Word of God. Okay? It is important that we are rooted and established in His Word. You can't be established in His Word and not know the will of God because His Word and His will are the same. Okay? You, if you are not rooted in the Word of God, you will be tempted to base everything you believe on your experience. And that is foolish to the highest core. If you base your doctrine on your experience instead of the word of God, you have just insulted and slandered God's word. I'm not saying your experience is not something, but if your experience and my experience don't line up with the word of God, it's not the word of God that's at fault, it's us. Okay? See, the man of the pool of Bethesda waited 38 years to get into the pool to receive his healing. Why? That was his doctrine. That's what he believed. That's what his belief system was. He thought he had to get into the pool to be healed. And he waited 38 years until Jesus showed up and showed him there's a better way. I bet you he wasn't preaching doctrine about the pool of set anymore. Why? Because someone called Jesus spoiled his doctrine about being healed, healed in the pool of set. I don't believe you have to go to church or a Bible conference to receive healing. However, Sometimes being in a different environment. Sometimes being around people who are of faith. And being alongside with Christians who believe the word of God. Can encourage you to receive from, from God like never before. If you need a healing, if you need healing. 
and you're surrounded by Christians who don't believe in healing or believe that God will only heal if it's his will, then chances are going to be very slim for you to receive healing. But if you receive, I believe, I believe in God for healing, and you surround yourself with those who believe the word of God regarding healing, it's going to be hard for you to stay sick. I can do the same thing about prosperity. You can be around people who don't believe in prosperity. Or you can be around people who do believe it. And it's going to be hard for you to stay poor. <coughs> I can change up the subject. You can be around people who believe you can live any way you want to and it's okay. And you can be living like the devil. Or you can be around people who think it's, it's good to live a holy life, a pure life, a good life. It's going to be hard for you to live in sin. You don't have to go to church to get healed. You don't have to go to church to receive your miracle. But I bet you, if you're around a church that does believe in miracles, that does believe in the Word of God, that does believe in healing, that does believe in prosperity, it's going to be hard for you not to receive your miracle. I believe all of us, we are the product of what we believe. How we're living is a byproduct of what we are believing. And what we are believing is a byproduct of what we are who and what we are hanging around. Where does faith even come from? The Word of God. So if you're not in a church that's teaching the Word of God regarding healing, prosperity, or other things that God has provided for us through the cross, and you're not going to believe it. And if you're not going to believe it, you're not going to live it. As a man thinketh, so is he, it says in the Word of God. What are you believing? And why are you believing what you're believing? Because that what you're being taught? Is that who you're hanging out with? Okay? Are you desiring for God to make you clean like the leopard? And make you whole? But you keep thinking... God can only heal me if, he's, if he wills to. Well, God already settled the matter on that. And it says in 1 Peter 2.24, who himself bore sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were past tense healed. Why is it past tense? Because Jesus died 2,000 years ago. He's not going to die again. And he also rose again for our justification of righteousness. Okay. Isaiah says, Isaiah 53 verse 4 says, By his stripes we are healed. And Peter translates that to, you were healed. Because Isaiah was saying before it happened. Peter is saying after it took place. And this is also echoed in the book of Matthew when Jesus himself quotes this verse in the context of him healing people. And he says the same thing, by his stripes you are healed. Okay, and so if you're wondering if it's God's will or not, well, God already settled the issue. So you have a choice. You can either believe the Word of God, or you can believe whatever you want to believe. Okay, whether that belief is coming from what your pastor is teaching you, what you have taught yourself in the Word of God, what you, your experience has taught you, or are you going to believe God? By His stripes, you were healed. 
Well, some people have shot back at me, but pastor, that's, that healing is not talking about physical healing. That's only talking about spiritual healing. Well, then you're telling me Jesus and Matthew got it wrong. Because in the book of Matthew, sorry, I don't have the reference in front of me this morning. In the book of Matthew, in the context of Jesus healing people, Jesus quoted uh, Isaiah chapter 53, by the stripes you were healed. So if you're telling me it was only spiritual healing, but Jesus and Matthew are telling me it's regarding physical healing, then I'm going to go with what Jesus and Matthew believe, not you. Okay? And again, I'm not saying that to be mean, but are we going to believe God or are we going to believe man? Okay? And so, I'm not saying this again to be mean. I don't have uh, some ego in my, my, that I'm fighting right now. I just, I'm big on believing the Word of God. See, Jesus already displayed his willingness to heal. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can see Jesus healed people all the time. Mark chapter 1, he healed the whole city because he healed Peter's mother-in-law and the whole city shut up. Start healing your mother-in-law to see what the city, the city shows up, okay? But do you know that Jesus healed a lot of people on the Sabbath? And that's a whole other teaching I can go into. And you know, it, it was, and there's a whole teaching about how Jesus healed on the Sabbath. That was his, he did that regularly. He healed people on the Sabbath. And do you know that, that specific reason for Jesus healing people on the Sabbath is why the religious leaders began to plot to kill Jesus? There's something very powerful about that. That made the devil so mad that he stirred up religious people to plot to kill Jesus. Yes, we understand that Jesus, no one in one sense that no one killed Jesus because he gave himself up. Yes, we understand that. But the apostles preached in the book of Acts that he, he, he accused the religious leaders of murder. Because in their minds, they murdered. Yes, we understand. And see, the devil, even the devil didn't understand the finished work of the cross before the cross. He thought he killed Jesus still. Because Paul writes on if, 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 they, if even the devil had known that, he never would have let Jesus be killed or crucified. Okay? But in their minds, in the religious minds, and the, the, the Pharisees, in their minds, in their intentions, they killed him. They murdered him. Okay? That's a whole other teaching. I'm not going to get too sidetracked with that. But Jesus displayed his willingness to heal he never turned anyone away. Okay? The only places he was not allowed to heal was the places where they did not believe. Okay? Jesus displayed his willingness to heal to the point that he was humiliated, he was beaten, and he was eventually crucified. Because he healed people. Okay? Jesus did his part, now it's our part to believe. Only many people are asking if it's God's will to heal. My question for you, are you willing to receive? Are you willing to receive all that God has for you? For healing, for provision? Whatever you need today, are you willing to receive? See, in, in John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them again and said, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. If we follow Jesus, 
We will not live in darkness. We will have the light of life. You know, a few years ago, I was working for uh, a Christian school. And one particular year, I got invited to go to the fifth grade nature camp. And there's one particular nature camp. We, we On one particular night, we did what we call a night hike. And we went out to the wilderness. We had people who knew the nature, the area, lead us. And the whole, the whole point of the night hike was no lights, no flashlights. Now, the leaders uh, who were leading us had flashlights for safety reasons, obviously. But the students and, and the staff that came along, we were not allowed to have, have our flashlights. I snuck my name in my backpack. And I'm glad I did. I'll come back to that story in just a moment. But I wasn't supposed to. But um, we went on a night hike in the wilderness, in the mountains. The whole point was to use our natural five senses to be able to navigate. And if you, the, the lights would have interrupted that whole, the, the whole purpose of that night hike, especially when we got out to the, the meadow to go look at the stars in the middle of the summer night, or uh, actually springtime. Um, and so it was a night hike. But on the way back from that night hike, we went a different route, and the leaders did not know that there was a fallen tree that hadn't, wasn't there when the last time they took a night hike. And so it kind of interrupted the path. And they needed a, another person with a flashlight, and that's where my flashlight came in. They were so glad I brought my flashlight, because through this night hike, because of the fallen tree and the, the, the interruption of our journey, uh, one, of the, one of the kids did get injured, and nothing major, but still uh, injury nonetheless. And, and so it made things a little more complicated. I use that illustration because, you know, when you... It was the, not, it was the flashlight that led our path when we needed it. I don't know if you've ever been in the, somewhere dark and you needed a flashlight or a lantern or something of that nature. But, uh, you know, Jesus said... If you follow me, you won't be in darkness, but you will have the light of life. And Jesus gives us an invitation to follow him so that we won't be in darkness. If you're not following him and his word, instead you're following you and others and your experience instead of him, you will be in darkness. You might not be in total darkness. I'm not saying necessarily you're, you're, you're not born again. But regarding healing, you're in darkness. If you don't believe that God wills to heal everybody everywhere every time, in that, under that doctrine, under that belief system, you are in darkness because you are limiting God. Because on the subject of healing, you're not following him. You're following man. You're following what your experiences. You're following what other people have told you. You're following uh, whatever the case may be. But if you're not, if you, if your doctrine, if what other people are teaching does not line up to the Word of God, then you're following man and not God. And only God is light. No one else is. We are the light of the world, the Scripture says, because we have Jesus. And when we have Jesus, we have the light of life. Okay. And he, so Jesus gives us an invitation to follow him. He gives us a choice, and we call that choice discipleship. 
where we, we, we're being trained, we are being mentored, where we are being uh, indoctrinated to not only have the light, be able to also to speak the light into people's lives. We can see Jesus give the same choice of discipleship following him as he did he gave that same choice to the rich and ruler. Let's look real quick in Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, we get verse 17. Now as he was going out on the road, one came running now before him and asked him, God, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? <coughs> Excuse me. So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Verse 20, And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. There's that compassion. Okay. And said to him, One thing you lack. He didn't say this out of malice. He didn't say this out of spite. He said this out of compassion. One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come and take up the cross and follow me. And but he was sad at this word, and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus recognized this man's heart, that he still had compassion on him, by telling him the truth. He said he kept all the commandments, but there was one commandment he didn't keep, and that was, have no, excuse me, have no other God beside me. He was disobeying the very first commandment because his possessions were more important than following Jesus. His, his possessions themselves were not a problem, but he was not willing to let them go to follow him. He was not following Jesus, he was following his possessions. And become an idol. Okay. But Jesus had compassion on him. Jesus presented to him the same choice he presents to you and I. And that's called the choice to follow him or not follow him. You can follow man or you can follow God. Okay. This whole idea of discipleship, this whole idea of believing God regarding healing, provision, whatever, is called compassion. It's called discipleship. It's called a choice. The problem is, the choice doesn't come without sacrifice. There's some things that we're going to have to let go. It might not be possessions. Maybe it's someone's doctrine. Maybe it's changing the way that you've always believed. Maybe it's changing churches. Maybe it's changing your belief system. Maybe it's changing a lot of the things that you need to let go of in order to follow Him. This is not being mean. This is called the compassion of Jesus. Okay? He goes on to say, Luke, Luke, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. If anything, including your doctrine, is more important than following Jesus. If, you, if your family is more important, if your business is more important than following Jesus, then you can't be his disciple according to the word of Jesus. Okay? God has given us a choice. 
He's told us throughout his word, you choose life or death, you choose blessings or cursings. You can be a disciple, and you can begin to start living in victory now if you choose to make a commitment. See, Jesus told his disciples in the assembly, go preach that the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here, folks. He's given us the kingdom. I, I quoted earlier that we have given this abundance of grace and gifts of righteousness to reign in life to the one Jesus Christ. He has redeemed us by his blood that we may be kings and priests to reign on the earth. He's given us a choice. We have a whole kingdom at our disposal. But we have to follow him, his word, or we have to follow man, our own, our own experience. Some of you need to it's not your possessions or man or a church that you need to give. You need, you need to put your, whole, your, your, your experiences aside. And some of you not just aren't. Because your experiences have become Lord over the Word of God. And that's wrong. That's dangerous. Okay? It says in this way, John, then Jesus said to the Jews who, be, who believe him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. You can't be his disciples if you don't abide in his word. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The truth can't make you free if you don't know it. If you don't believe it. Okay? You see, sometimes our life is like that hike in the dark. There's times, I don't matter to you, but sometimes my life, sort of speak, has gotten very dark. In a sense, I don't know my way. I don't know. Sometimes I'm at a fork in the road. I don't know, do I go left, right, straight, or stand still? But I need his word to be a light, a lamp, unto my path. I mean, a light itself can get very dark at times. But no matter how dark the, valley, the shadow of the valley may, may be, his word is a lamp unto our path. But if we don't have a relationship with God and a relationship with his word, when we're in that dark valley, we don't have a lamp to our path. Now, this whole, that it reminds me of the, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He leads me beside Quiet waters and dark valleys. But goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. See, a disciple is a person who's committed to God and committed to His Word above everything and everyone else. We must choose the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus above everything else. Above what we see, above what we feel, and above everything we know. At whatever cost it costs us. We must make the choice to follow God. To follow Him. We must respond to the compassion of Jesus to be His disciples. Okay? And when we do, we will not. We will be full of light, the light of life. Okay, you know it says in Matthew twelve twenty, 
Jesus talks about this in both Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He's quoted from Isaiah. I think it's Isaiah 64. I don't want to read the whole context, but he makes this statement. He quotes from Isaiah. He says, A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory. What on earth does that mean? Okay. Sometimes we read over scripture and we just read over it because we don't even know what it means. And when we don't know what it means, we don't get the benefit of understanding what he's saying. See, one of the ways in which God's goodness is revealed is through his mercy. His mercy endures forever. His mercy is the compassion of Jesus. See, we may describe mercy as the readiness of God to forgive sinners, to forgive us, to forgive you. Mercy is called compassion, our loving kindness, and, and many other scriptures. Mercy is expressed towards a sinner because of the misery that sin has brought upon them in their lives. But this word reed, this word reed is referred to in this passage. It speaks of the reeds that grew in the, the marshy areas in, in the land of Palestine. Palestine. And it's, the reed is very fragile, and it could easily be bruised or broken. But this smoking flax refers to a linen wick which was made from flax, and it was burned brightly when floating on an oil in an oil lamp. See, but when the oil was depleted, the flax would just smoke until the oil was quenched. To me, this whole, this whole illustration of bruised reeds he will not break and smoking flax he will not quench. To me, this whole, this whole prophecy that he's quoting from Isaiah, it illustrates Jesus' ministry mercy to those who have been bruised and broken. You know, there's a lot of people listening to this including myself, if you've ever heard some of my story, where we've gone through life where we've been very bruised and very broken by different things. I've talked a lot about healing, and, and mostly in the context of a physical need. But I mean, you know, some people need healing, and it's, it, it's, the wounds go deep. You can't see it on the surface. How do you know that Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted? And set the captives free. And there's some people they've been broken and bruised, maybe physically or emotionally, psychologically, mentally. And there's those that they've lost their oil, they've lost their purpose, their spirit, their drive, and it's been quenched. But how do you know Jesus came to restore? It says in Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening of the prisons that are bound, to proclaim the sepulchre year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to cover all who mourn, to console those who mourn and die, and to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy. There's that oil. For mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, for they may be called trees of righteousness, the plan of the Lord for the display that he may be glorified for the display of his splendor. Okay. 
It says in Matthew 5.3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It says in Acts 1.5, So John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues and speak in the others. The reason I brought these scriptures down, you know, a lot of, stuff, a lot of these prophecies that I get from this Matthew 20, 11, 20 that I just read a minute ago is God, you talk about the Holy Spirit. We're talking about, going back real quick, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God has anointed the church. We are the church of the living God. Jesus died and rose again, and he gave us his Holy Spirit. I'm getting ahead of myself, but his love has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God is upon us to go and hear, preach good tidings, good gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to, to set liberty to those who are captives, to be the light of the world. And he did that by pouring out his Spirit, okay, on us. I'm not getting the whole connotation here. He also said in Isaiah 58, Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you can break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out, when you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Is it not to sh uh, Then your light shall shine forth like the, like, like the morning. That your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And then he shall call, and the Lord will answer you. Cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, talk about forgiveness, <coughs> and speaking witness. If you extend your soul to the hungry, if satisfied the afflicted, your soul, your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you. There's that guidance again. Continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. And you shall be like a water garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And those from among you shall build the old waste. There's restoration. <coughs> you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. That's, that's called compassion. God, the Spirit of God, has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit to restore and heal. And I, I, I don't feel like I've done this. Like, um, I haven't really shared this the way I really wanted to. I haven't developed this message the way I really wanted to for this morning. But God has anointed us to not just heal physical needs, but there's some people that are really broken. And God wants to use us to extend restoration mercy into their lives. This isn't, um, sorry, again, I'm reading from my notes this morning. Before I go there real quick, God's mercy is revealed by his act of taking away the misery of sin's consequences through the covenant, of, through his covenant through Jesus Christ. See, salvation is given because of God's mercy, and it's not something we have merit or unmerited. I feel like I'm rambling now a little bit, but let's go to Titus. Those from you among you shall build, oh, no, let's go here. Nor by works of righteousness by which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. 
And I say, quoting from here, Romans 5, 5, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. See, I'm hoping I can convey some of this. God is wanting to work through us, church. The same compassion that moved Jesus to heal the blind man, heal the leper, and heal many people in his ministry. God, The Spirit of God is upon us so that we can extend that same mercy, that same compassion to set the captives free. We're called to be disciples. And sometimes we need to put our agendas aside. We need to put our, our goals aside. And we need to minister to one another. Um, because to me, that's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. His love was shed upon our hearts by the Holy Spirit to be the church, to love one another. There's over a hundred scriptures in the New Testament how we are supposed to love one another. I don't know if I'm getting this across like I want to. Um, I don't feel like I've developed it the exact same way I wanted to develop it this morning. You know, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Israel was facing a big army. Actually, three armies were coming against them at one time. And this was at a time when the military for Israel was at a weak, very weak point. And three armies were coming against them. These were actually three armies that God told them when they entered the promised land not to touch. And now they were coming against them. And so Jehoshaphat, who was a king, in 2 Chronicles 20, 12, he begins to bow his knee. He just says, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And as you continue to read the chapter, 2 Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat, put his worship team on the front line as they went out to battle. And they began to sing, The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. That mercy is the compassion of God. That mercy is the compassion of Jesus. And whatever you're going through this morning, Whatever you're going through in your life as a family or individuals, you might not know what to do, but your eyes are upon him. And I encourage you, I implore you to do what Jehoshaphat did. If you don't know what else to do, just begin to sing. Lord, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Don't just sing that religiously and lip service. But sing it from the heart. That no matter what you're going through, there's not nothing that God's compassion, God's mercy cannot change. So, I mean, the blind man cried out to Jesus, Oh, son of David, have mercy on us. So many of these people we can hear that they, they cried out for his mercy, his compassion. Do not underestimate the mercy of God. See, one thing about mercy is you cannot earn it. 
It's not based on what you've done. It's based on his goodness. Because the Lord is good. And his love, his mercy endures forever. His loving kindness is better, is better than life. I don't know how far I'll be able to get with this. This is kind of the second half of my message this morning. But in Matthew 22, I don't have time to read all this. But someone asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said to him, I guess I will read it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Okay? The greatest commandment is love God and to love one another. On these two hinge all the law. See, many people are praying for joy, peace, happiness for their families and for their loved ones in their home. Many people are praying for better relationships and family, among family and friends. But the answer to all of our prayer requests is in God's love for us. And when we understand God's love for us, we can then love one another. But before we can love God and love one another, as this says, we must first understand His love for us. Until we understand his love for us, it will be hard for us to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind and to love our neighbor as ourselves. See, in 1 John, it says, we love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? See, in order for God's love to flow through you, it's first got to flow in you. James 2 8 says, If you really fulfill the royal law of love, it's the royal law, I'll come back to that, according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. What is the royal law? Why is it called the royal law? Because the greatest commandment is that we love one, uh, God and love our neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment. According to Jesus, it's the royal. Okay? It's the highest of all the laws. It's called the law of love. And so, loving God, loving our neighbor, needs to be our focus. But we can't love our neighbor, we can't love God, until we first receive his love for us. Okay? See, it says, Jesus, if you read the Gospels, in Luke chapter 17, Jesus says that it's impossible that offenses won't come. Paul even says in Timothy that some will even hate you because of me. Speaking of Jesus. <coughs> but in James, James says, For where envy and strife, self-seeking is, that's confusion and every evil thing over there. <coughs> What's envy? What's envy? See, a lot of times people think envy and jealousy are the same thing, and they're not. See, jealousy is desiring something that someone else has. 
but envy is jealousy with malice. Okay, they're sisters. They're almost the same. Jealousy is just desiring something someone else has. But envy is jealousy, everything jealousy is, but with malice and with spite. And envy will make you bitter and angry. And strive in venting that bitterness and that anger out on others or situations. But where envy and self-seeking are striped, this is probably a bad uh, translation I chose here. There's confusion in every evil work. Who's the author of confusion? The devil. So in other words, where you have envy and strife or self-seeking, you have every evil work. Not just some evil work, every evil work is there. You know, when we have strife with someone, it says in Proverbs that only by, only by pride can come contention. Excuse me. The source of all contention is, is pride. You can't have contention without pride, according to the book of Proverbs. It's usually when, <coughs> usually when there's a contention between two parties or multiple parties, if you peel back the onion far enough, it's usually going to be either your fault or their fault, or in most cases, it'll be both your fault. And it's easier to just point the finger, I'm this way because you did this. And it's so easy for us to have a victim mentality. But often the problem is with our minds. I found as a pastor, and even individually, that a lot of times we judge our we judge other people's motives. We jump to conclusions and we take offense based on speculation. I've seen a lot of controversy happen from that. But if you study the scriptures about the qualifications for a minister, and again, I've said this before, we're all able ministers of the New Covenant, but all, one of the qualifications for a minister, according to Paul, is that we be sober-minded. And if you study the word sober-minded out in the Greek, it also means being void of speculative imaginations. I mean, you know, we get in trouble when we speculatively imagine the worst of people. And I'm just as guilty of that sometimes. Yeah, I'm a minister. And I, I'm at fault at that times. But when we, I got this from Andrew Womack, when we begin to assume people's motives are good, instead of assuming people's motives are bad, most offenses will never occur. If we will default into assuming people's motives are good instead of defaulting and assuming people's motives are bad, we, in most cases, we would never get offended. But no matter who is at fault, whether it's you, that, or both of you, you have a choice how you are going to respond. Paul says, I die daily. Sometimes we need to die to ourselves. Are you hearing me? 
I said sometimes we need to die to ourselves regarding the matter. Most times, if you really are honest and transparent with each other, you'll find that both of you are at fault to some degree or another. But you want to know the key to fixing broken relationships? It's called forgiveness. In Matthew 18, I read this a couple weeks ago, but Peter asked Jesus, how many times do we forgive one another? And Jesus said, 70 times 7. You know, it's almost impossible someone can have sinned against you 490 times in one day. But even if someone does sin against you 490 times in one day, you need to forgive them. Well, Pastor, I'm on 475 right now, and it's only 10 in the morning. How am I doing? You know, your most powerful weapon that you have in getting along with people and ending, the most powerful weapon you have to end strife and confusion is forgiveness. Because the very next verse says that the, 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 the wisdom that comes from above is pure, is peaceful, is willing to be entreated, is without hypocrisy. Okay? Then the most powerful weapon to restoring relationships is forgiveness. In 1 John 4, 78, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. You know, when we talk about the love of God, and I'm trying to wrap this up here, I get the, the response I get from a lot of people through the, through the years, when you start talking about the love of God, you get the response you get from a lot of people, I, I know that. I know God loves me. It's almost like they're scoffing at that. Because it's a, a topic, well, we all know God loves us. For God so loved the world, he forgave his only begotten son. It's like we, we know it, but we don't know it. Because people who say they know about God's love, many of them are still lonely. They're still depressed. They're still discouraged. They're still defeated. They're still angry and bitter about various things. They say they know God's love, and yet the fruit on the vine is anything but from the love of God. And when you are someone who's lonely, discouraged, defeated, angry and bitter, you need a fresh revelation of the love of God because you are not walking in the love of God in that state of mind. See, unbelief, which is the opposite of faith, unbelief usually exists because we struggle to believe his promises will come to pass. Whatever we're praying for. Healing. A broken heart. Loneliness. Finances. Wisdom. Relationships. A lot of us, we don't believe that what God's promise and his word that we're praying to him will come to pass. And that's unbelief because we're struggling to believe the promises of God. But Galatians says, but faith works through love. If you have a 
faith problem, believing the promise of God, then you have a love problem because faith works through that. Love drives faith. Love, we know from Corinthians, love never fails. But how many know our faith can fail? <coughs> what I mean by that? Well, how many times did Jesus rebuke the disciples for their lack, their lack of faith? Many times Jesus said, if you had faith, this would not have happened. Our faith has failed us. Our faith became shipwreck. Paul says in Thessalonians 3.10, I come to perfect that which is lacking in your faith. But faith works by love. If we have a faith problem, we have a love problem. Okay? Because love drives faith. If you remove love, faith will cease to exist. Or cease to function. We try to believe we should be seeking, but we should be seeking a greater revelation of his love. Stop trying to increase your faith and increase your knowledge of his love and your faith will activate. You don't have a faith problem, you have a love problem. And when your faith is not working, your love in God, your love from God is not working. Because if you start focusing on the greater, renewed love, uh, revelation of his love for you, your faith will activate. And you will operate in the compassion of Jesus. So many times we pray for a loved one. Lord, if you only love so-and-so as much as I love them. Do you think that you really love so-and-so more than Jesus loved them? That he was willing to die for them? See, sometimes our circumstances blind us of God's love. Because we magnify our experience over the Word of God and the knowledge of God. See, Jesus said, do not fear. Don't be in faith. Little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Folks, we have a kingdom at our disposal. Whatever you need, this kingdom can answer your prayer. Whatever you need. Healing, provision, relationship, this kingdom can, is your answer. See, it says in Psalm. Let them shout with joy and be glad in favor of my righteous cause. And let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of a servant. God delights in your prosperity. Your prosperity physically, your prosperity relationally, your prosperity financially, your prosperity in every area of your life. God delights in your prosperity. He takes pleasure in it. We need a revelation of his love. And when we have a revelation of his love, any doubt, any fear, going back to the last slide, will vanish. Our lack of faith in his love hinders God. See, i got to go through this quickly. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, with whom the whole family in heaven on earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. 
that Christ may dwell in your hearts through what? Faith. That you being rooted and grounded in what? Love. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and height, depth and, and height. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to his power and within us. I had to go through that fast. I'm sorry. <coughs> Folks, we need to have, we need to know the love of Christ that surpasses intellectual knowledge that we might be filled with the fullness of God. We need to know the full dimension of his love. We need to be so grounded in his love by faith. Okay? Because Paul also says, and now faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. And 1 John 2, 3 to 5, I want to end on this passage and we're going to wrap it up. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. Now, Bear with me just a moment. I'm going to end on this. But it says, you know, I believe what there's something called, what I call, spiritual dyslexia. What's dyslexia? It's someone who sees something backwards. Okay. For example, instead of seeing God, you might see dog. You just spell backwards. You see, you see things backwards. See, as someone with spiritual dyslexia will read this passage. And, they, and what they see is, I want to love God, so I will keep his commandments, so I do love God. But I believe this passage is saying, God love is a result of us knowing God. We love because he first loved us, because we know God. And I, I'm going through this fast, I wish I had more time to develop this. To me, living a holy life, living a good life, Obeying his commandments is the result of knowing God. Okay? Living a holy life is not because we obey the commandments. It's a result of us knowing God. See, when his love is perfected in us, keeping his word becomes second nature. It becomes automatic. I'm, I don't know if I'm expressing this in the way I want to. See, a lot of people believe that God's love is based on our performance. Even when we were not performing, we were living like a sinner, we were living like the devil, Jesus died for us. We wanted nothing to do with God, and God loved us. And died on the cross. See, a lot of times when we mess up, we condemn ourselves. And yet some people think God is condemning them. And even Satan's not condemning them. A lot of times we are the ones condemning ourselves. It's not God. Again, I don't feel like I've done enough time to develop this, but I want, what I want to bring out is that by this we know that we we know him. The result 
of us knowing him is that we keep his commandments. The result of the love of God being perfected in us is that is 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 by is that we know him, that we keep his word. I don't know if I'm making sense with this whole point that I'm trying to make. A lot of times people think that the proof that we love him is that we keep his commandments. I believe the byproduct of us keeping his commandments is that we do know him. And the only way that we can love him is that we first know that he loves us. You have to put this scripture together with the other scriptures that John talks about. Am I making sense on this? I hope I am. I can't see your heads not good on the video. But we love because he first loved us. And the fact that we are keeping his commandments is that we love him. But we love him because he first loved us. The root in us knowing his love, the fruit is that we love him. Which includes us keeping his commandments. We obey God. We have faith in God because he loved us first. We believe that love. And as a result of believing and receiving that love, we love him back. And one of the ways that we love him back is that we obey him. It didn't start with us obeying him first. It started with him loving us first. Does that make, hopefully that's making sense. He loved first. He moved first. We responded to that love and loving him back and keeping his word and walking the holy life. We didn't start because we, we, we got our act together first and then we loved him and then and it didn't work that way. If there's any good in us, it's because of him, not us. He's our savior. We're not our own savior. Hopefully this has benefited to you. But we're talking about the, the compassion of Jesus. And the whole way that we can live a holy life is because we receive the mercy and compassion and grace of our Lord and Savior. And we live a holy life. And we love Him. And we love one another. And we do exploits in His name because we receive the compassion of Jesus. And when, see, we can't forgive others. And we can't minister this compassion and forgiveness to others if we are still wrestling this on our own. The fact that you can't forgive your brother or sister for what they've done tells me that you have not received his love for yourself. Because if you knew how much he loved you and forgiven you, you would not have a hard time forgiving your brother or sister. And anyway. Hopefully this is ministered to you. It's big in my heart. It's something I believe. It's something I teach. And something I desire to live. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Amen.